You're listening to Out of Office, a weekly podcast where we ditch our nine to five personas and we talk about life as young black professionals. We'll talk about our journeys in corporate, life outside of work, and what's happening in culture. We're going to unpack it all. And I'm Jay, a down-to-earth Southern belle, marketer for some of your fave brands, and low-key, I'm an aspiring rapper. You know, the people, they be calling me Jay Mills. (laughs) True story. And I'm Ness, an Afro-Latina from New York, a purpose-driven marketer, and your fave hype woman. You already know I'm a hype you. So pull up and vibe with us if you want realness, relatability, and laughs. This is Out of Office. Y'all, I'm so excited to be here. Um, welcome to Out of Office. We're I'm back. Ness. And I'm Jay. And we're here to keep it real after work. And we have a really awesome, timely, relevant topic to discuss today. Jay, tell the people what we're talking about. Okay, so I'm sure that everyone that's listening that works within corporate America, nonprofit world, education, wherever you work, you have been hearing about allyship because given the past year that we've had, and even before that companies have tried and have been trying to create more inclusive spaces. And with that, they have to make sure that their employees are being inclusive. So there's been an increase in conversations around allyship, but with that, it's been a lot on us as people of color to navigate these spaces. So today we wanted to talk about allyship, but more specifically performative allyship because it's running rampant y'all. It's running rampant throughout the walls of these companies. Yeah, And the world. quite frankly. And the world so, and the world yeah. for and sure. So, so for those people who might not even know what performative allyship even means, I'm going to give a quick, uh, kind of dictionary-esque definition performative allyship is based on the idea of self-gratification and does not look at your responsibility within a community it's disingenuous for example Mm -hmm. merely posting a black square on instagram is not being an effective ally that's the bare minimum (laughs) right you're merely performing with personal gratification in the center of your action so again a lot of allyship is giving performative lately, and <laughs> we want to talk about this, actually. And we have an awesome, awesome special guest. I'm so excited. I know you've been a little quiet. Julia, say hi to the people. Hey, everybody. Nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to e-meet you, or I guess uh, listen, meet you. Um, and yeah, Jay, you want to read off julia's bio a little because i feel like you know we got to make it sound real official like julia is awesome she's a good friend of ours but we want to read off her bio a little bit you know just so y'all get to know her and then she'll introduce herself of course i can i can do that so julia is someone that we know from work so julia thank you again for taking the time to join us on our podcast but julia was born and raised in toronto canada so shout out to her she out there in the you know land where drake is from have you met drake girl (laughs) but she currently works as a brand marketer so she's also within the marketing function shout out to the marketers at work she is passionate about building an inclusive environment through her LGBTQ. LGBTQ plus club. She founded in Canada. So, okay, we have an entrepreneur here as well as advocating for increased representation in campaigns. Outside of work, Julia volunteers for Out for Undergrad, which is a nonprofit with a mission of helping high achieving LGBTQ plus undergrads reach their full potential. Okay. If you want to Julia's doing the work for me. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're talking to an ally. Um, but if you want to chat DE and I, travel, cat craft beers, or fun facts, she's your girl. So Julia, thank you. Let's give her a warm round of applause. I, I definitely have not met Jake, but in a not as cool way, I've met Sean Mendez actually. So just a little way from afar. But uh, so I'm Julia. Uh, she, her pronouns. I work with Ness and Jay. It's been amazing. And I'm a marketer with them. And I identify as part of the LGBTQ community. So I'm excited to be here as an ally, but also uh, as someone who maybe has experienced allyship in the past. 
Yeah, I love that. I love it. And, and Julia, I just want to give, you know, since obviously the people can't see us the way we see us, Julia is also a white woman. If you're if you're wondering, like, she is a white woman. Um, and, you know, we're going to break the awkwardness in this call. And we're going to remind everyone that this is a safe and brave space. I'm tired of us just saying safe space when spaces don't really be that safe. Mm. Um, but this is a brave space where we're going to be honest, where we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. We're going to ask tough questions. And um, Julia, I'm just so excited because quite frankly, like these are the type of conversations that Jamie and I, like we have in our circles with other black women, women of color. It's very rare for us to actually have these conversations with white women. And what we do is awkward. Mm -hmm. So I'm loving the vibe that we have so far where we, you know, are being honest with each other. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. Jay, do you have any questions you want to start us off with? Like, how do, how do we want to talk about this? No, I, I think um, kind of with what we said at the beginning, there's been like an increased conversation, increased conversations around allyship. So I think to really just start us off, Ness, I, I would love to just hear from you. Um, and then also, you know, I can share as well. But like, what has been like your experience within corporate prior to the last year and even within the last year around allyship and and what really has led to you having this feeling around things are very performative yeah um man so I think we'll start off with the context of saying I moved from New York City to move to Minneapolis everybody kind of knows this if you've been listening to outer office so far so being in a space where I was mostly around white people and white women for the first time was a major culture shock to me um and being in a space even like Minneapolis where like allyship is something that I think that was probably one of the first times I even heard the term right Mm -hmm. of like people actually standing up and caring for other communities that are not their own um so I think for me that culture shock happened when I moved um post-graduation of understanding, okay, like there are people who actually care about, you know, an experience that might not be their own. Um, even though we knew what allyship was, we just didn't have as much emphasis on the term mm-hmm. as up until a couple of years ago. Um, my experience before was always like the people who were allies knew they were allies. And they and didn't like, say didn't, it. They didn't have to say that they were allies. It was just like, you just did the work. You just were one of these white people that pulled up, you know? Or like, you were one of these people who, uh, you know, for me, I'm an ally to the LGBTQ plus community. I'm never going to call myself an ally. I just don't tolerate certain things, you mm-hmm. know? And I stand for people in my friend group. So I think it's interesting how the popularization of the term ally became so popular I, I think over the past couple of years and I think more specifically now especially after George Floyd the pressure for companies mm-hmm. and like people to truly ally individually became increased visible and increased mm-hmm. I think before it was like it was a very individual journey like I'm gonna just choose to do act a certain way and be curious or whatever insert myself in different spaces Whereas now the term has become a little bit more of a buzzword Mm -hmm. and that doesn't really sit well with me. And I think that's why it becomes performative because people are like rediscovering this term and all of a sudden it's like cool to be an ally. Mm -hmm. Where it's like part of being an ally is not always cool because you're actually unlearning a whole bunch of stuff. You're trying to like really truly empathize. So my experience has been both as an ally is something that I don't use the term as much because really I'm just trying to be a good person mm-hmm. uh, whether I share an experience with somebody or not and um, I think receiving allyship I think what's been interesting in this past year and I'd love to hear your take on this too Jay mm-hmm. is like for the first time after George Floyd we've had to uh, people of color have had to understand like white guilt and mm-hmm. people actually like needing to be an ally because it affects their like other people's livelihood Mm -hmm. um and so that has been interesting I think for me so I would just love to hear like you know your experience with allyship too yeah um I mean very similar I think even everyone on the show knows that I'm from North Carolina as well and like I feel like coming from a southern part of the country 
we were not having conversations around allyship and my circles honestly were not that diverse. Like, and, and I feel like that could be a whole other episode of why, like, when you go into a school cafeteria, you see black kids with black kids, yep. white kids with white kids, Hispanic kids with Hispanic kids. And so that was my reality. So I spent a lot of time with people that look like me. So yep. this whole notion of allyship is very much new. Um, and it, and I've learned more about it within the walls of corporate. And, and it's yep. really taken on, as you said, allyship has become trendy. Um, mm -hmm. And I think because it's become trendy, it's leading to disingenuous conversations right. and it's putting a lot of weight on people of color to yep. engage in these conversations. Um, and I think it's on one side of it, I'm appreciative that what's happening in the world is pushing companies to speak up, to change their DEI initiatives, to put forward trainings and to really push that middle management group to really think about being inclusive leaders. Because oftentimes you'll hear from the higher ups, like the CEO, the SVPs, they may get it, but then it falls down in the middle. And when you right. get down to the early professionals where we really need it, like we are young professionals who are looking at companies. We are expecting companies to show up and speak and put your money where your mouth is. But when yeah. our day-to-day -day is not reflective because of the mm -hmm. management, it just, it just breaks down. But yeah. I think that, so it's so on one side, I'm appreciative of it, but because it is new and because there are a lot of conversations, I often feel like I'm in spaces where um, people are opening their eyes and they are unlearning. And then through that unlearning and relearning, it is a lot of white guilt, white tears, where it's a constant, I'm just, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to say. I'm, I, I, I just, and I'm just like, if you don't know what to say, I don't know what to say, because this is also awkward for me. So it just, right. it, 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 it becomes like a constant cycle of me feeling a little bit uncomfortable yeah. with the conversations because I'm like well what what are you expecting me to give you in this do you want me to give you a hand clap because you're learning now and yes. you know what's going on or are you just looking for a space to vent but also I got a thousand other things I'm dealing with in the world so do I need this every time a black man is killed I don't know um and then I think the last thing I'm going to say and then I would love to hear from Julia is um Lord, I lost my train of thought. We're gonna have to cut this part. Oh my God. Girl, it's okay. That that happens. Okay. It's a lot. You even thinking about allyship is a whole lot on us. So I think that's <laughs> we can come back to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I literally forgot what I was about to say. Oh my God, my my brain is gone, y'all. It's okay. So Julia, I want to hear more while while she's thinking. And I'm sure it'll come back. And when it does, write it down. Because you mm -hmm. know that's how life works. Um, and we're not cutting this part out because we're out of office and we're here to be transparent and real. Um, Julia, I want to hear about allyship from your perspective. Like, tell me more about, like, just what does allyship mean to you? And then performative allyship. Yeah, of course. I can, I'll start a little bit with how I started to join my allyship journey. And I know you've already identified I am a white woman and I'd say it definitely took me realizing that I was experiencing or I wasn't experiencing privilege out of my queer identity and that my whole life I was basically in a car and going through green lights nothing slowing me down just going forward not realizing anything around me and as soon as I came out as LGBTQ plus I started to realize I had some yellow lights, some red lights, and I was stopping. Mm. And when I was stopping, I realized I'm not the only one. People have been experiencing this for so long. People of color where I had my white skin and was just going about life not realizing anything. And it took me a second to stop, take my blinders off and realize I need to start being more intentional and look around and observe people's identities and where I have privilege and so that's really what started to inject me into my allyship journey. And so for me, I think really allyship's all about progress. You know, I, I know when I was chatting with you before, you can only listen for so long, but it definitely starts there. You know, listening, educating, moving to being more visible and showing up. But eventually the goal is really to get to being an advocate and mm -hmm. taking action 
and saying things such as, you know, it's not a checklist of things that you have to do. And like you said, label yourself a good ally. Like, okay, I posted a black square, I'm done. But it's really like the everyday actions that don't just happen in one month of the year or like right. one time of the year. It's, you know, just showing up and making other people feel seen. Like, and I yeah. know you're saying it can be exhausting, like having people constantly have the white guilt and white tears. But in some way, I remember after George Floyd, the first time that I did even a little bit of this, which is something that I should have been doing much earlier, was reaching out to my Black colleagues. And I, I'd heard people say, you know, I don't want to be asked how I'm feeling because mm. how can you imagine? Right. Just saying, hey, this happened. It's hard to balance work in your life right now. And I just want to acknowledge that mm -hmm. and say it must be really tough and I'm here for you that's it and just acknowledge that and some mm -hmm. people answered some people didn't because you can probably imagine like you said how many people are reaching out and it's exhausting and you know things like that but just letting people know that it's okay to not be okay right now mm -hmm. especially younger employees I realized that was a small small step that I started doing more often and I feel like really allowed people to just feel acknowledged like you said when maybe their managers weren't or middle managers weren't yeah mm -hmm. that's I good that. i have a question actually mm -hmm. oh uh, unless jamie you had something to say no 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 i was just okay. gonna just say that like to your point of reaching out to people and people told you like being clear on what your expectations are yes. because I feel like people reach out and they may have the expectation that I have to respond yes. but I feel like if you really have a good relationship with that person who is sitting there an ally for you they should ask like when when something like this happens like what are you comfortable with since there has been an increase in conversations and what I was going to say when I kind of went blank was that essentially a lot of people are saying, I'm an ally to you. I'm an ally to you. And I don't really actually know how, like outside of you reaching out to me, I don't know what you're doing outside of the walls right. of the company. I don't know what actions you are taking. So I just feel like people should tread lightly with just yelling from the mountaintops that they're allies but I feel like because companies are pushing it it's forcing people to feel like they have to say it and that's where we're getting into this cycle of performative because I'm like are you doing this because this is now an initiative from the company or are you really about this life not only that but I also <laughs> think people oftentimes they throw out that term because we live in this world that's so polarized right where mm -hmm. you literally have like white supremacists like domestic terrorists like the people storming the Capitol, you had a Trump support. Like, you have people who are, like, way off one ledge. And I think a lot of times people are throwing out ally because they might be somewhere in the middle and they just want to not be associated with that. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So it's like, I'm not trying to be labeled as, like, the person who uh, supports Trump or, you know what I mean, or the person who's a white supremacist. Like, I'm not racist, so I'm an ally. And I think that a lot of times it's like we just live in this polarized society where it's, like, one or the other. And that other is a long, big spectrum. And allyship is a huge spectrum. And I think people just throw that term out to like disassociate themselves with what's super harmful, toxic, and people who are outwardly white supremacists you know and I, mean? I think that's problematic as well because i feel like they're trying to disassociate themselves with that but they still benefit from the power of white supremacy mm -hmm. so i think it's better to say i acknowledge that i am benefiting from this system and while i may not have these crazy like thoughts that i want to go storm the capital and like i'm trying to create a white power race i still am a i benefit from that right and i think that's more real to me than trying to just like distance yourself like I'm I have nothing to do with that absolutely um and you know I think I'm, I'm interested uh, Julia to talk to you about this too because I think a lot of times uh I notice with like my LGBTQ fam it's like I feel like they've been talking about allyship for a minute you know what I'm saying like the the term allyship and a lot of like even with companies like a lot of their programming and their membership is like you have allies who just want to be so involved with that um, movement, which is, like, amazing. That's how it should be. I think anyone who's coming out should have that support. Like, that's foundational, right? Like, we're human. I would love to understand, because I think a lot of times, like, I've in my experience, I've 
noticed there's a, a, t- a couple people who like try to equate the allyship experience in a way to relate, which makes sense. But to me, it's like the allyship experience with race and the LGBTQ plus community is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of want to talk about that and hear your perspective, Julia, um, on that being from the community as well. No, of course. Yeah, it's I, it's definitely something where I always like to think about it, the fact that within marginalized communities, you still have visible marginalized communities and mm-hmm. invisible marginalized communities. And mm-hmm. so I think the reason why allyship has been around for a minute, like you're saying with LGBT West community is for us and for most people, because this isn't the same experience across the entire community, you just don't know. Sometimes mm-hmm. you gut check, like you don't know how people feel about the community at most times. Like you could have somebody who's this kumbaya person, but as soon as you come out or you mention like, I'm a girl and I'm a girlfriend, it's this complete shift. You almost mm-hmm. don't know where you stand with somebody that for the community for a huge part, it was just visible allyship. Like I need that sign. I need mm-hmm. that progression. Like, so when I had one of my first internships, I actually opened my laptop and I just come out at this time. And there was a pride sticker on my laptop. And I literally asked my mentor, did they lurk me? Like, do they know? Like, did they put that there to say, hey, it's okay? But they said, no, it's just on everybody's laptops. Just, prog- you know, like- so just setting the standard. Mm-hmm. Setting the standard, exactly. But I, I think that's the thing where, you know, with the black community or people of color community, you can't closet yourself as part of that community mm-hmm. but that's that's is the problem too like it's not a right or wrong it's just you know sometimes where you stand with people and you can see how you're treated versus other people are treated and that's where potentially you just knew like you said who were the allies and who weren't the allies the allies mm-hmm. were the people surrounding you and helping you and empowering you and the other people just didn't take part in your life or were negative about it that's probably where people wanted to, you know, throw stuff in the water and see what stuck to say, hey, like, come out of the dark, tell me if you're an ally, I need to know, because I need to know if I can and share something with you or not, because mm-hmm. I don't know where I stand. Mm. Yeah, because it's so I mean, that's so personal. Yeah. Um, And, and I agree with what I love what you said, because it's like a lot of times I the issue that I have with people trying to equate the two forms of allyship is you're right. It's like, I cannot hide that I'm black. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I literally can't hide it. Like, we walk into spaces where you cannot hide that. And it's a matter of, like, survival sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um. So, so I think that's just very interesting. And then also, I think it's interesting that throughout the entire LGBT, the history of the movement, mm-hmm. like, it has, there's been a ton of intersectionality. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Black women, black trans women, like, led a lot of that movement. So, you can't not acknowledge like intersectionality but I think with race it's like there were whole I mean with both movements there Mm -hmm. were whole systems in place but then like with race you literally had slavery like that is one of the main systems and institutions that is now you know materialized in a different way so yeah actually I'd love to touch on is especially with intersectionality like you're saying if you go back to the beginning of the gay rights movement, which is what it was called way back when, it was, like you're saying, people of color, transgender activists who mm-hmm. were putting their lives in danger. And like you were saying, people who were either Latinx, Asian, Black, who were leading this movement, transgender, they couldn't hide the fact that they were Black. They couldn't hide the fact that they were a person of color. So if they also had to unveil un- ravel the fact that they're part of the community they were transgender the whole idea of disclosure and that they had to let people know some people are saying i already know that my life is in danger because i'm a person of color mm-hmm. but what if i add this other aspect of putting mm-hmm. my life in danger because i'm part of the community and it just the two like you're saying the intersectionality there are people who have both yeah that they, they almost needed one form of allyship when they couldn't have the other so it just sometimes goes hand in hand yeah that's so good and I think even Julia being a person that you're within a community where you need allies but even within that community you have to ally for people within that community because the Mm. black LGBTQ experience is much worse I think when you look at everything there's inequity in every aspect whether it's healthcare, education corporate America but when you double click into that 
-hmm. black people are always going to have it worse. It's those compounding effects of the inequity. But I love when you talked about putting their lives in danger. And as we're talking about allyship, what came to my mind, and I believe it was a a conference that we had at our company where someone talked about, I like the word accomplice over, yes, AACP, accomplice. And when I think about that, yeah, she said, we don't need allies. We need need accomplices. accomplices. And I think about to be an ally, to be an accomplice, it truly does take courage it, yeah. it at the core of it is courage because you are going to speak out against the norm. You are going to yeah. speak out against what the world considers to be true. When you're going into your conservative grandfather's house who has grown Ooh. up thinking that black people should be the bottom scum of the earth and you're going to speak up, you could be disowned. I want yeah. a person standing beside me that would be willing to be disowned from their family to push for equity. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because period. that is that's like the people back in the day, like when you watch Selma, the white people who were mm-hmm. on the front lines, who were killed. Yeah. Like, so that's why when people say, like, oh, I'm an ally, I'm an ally, I'm like, uh are you though? Because I know people who were who would be willing to die yeah. for just change in the world. And I know that's very, very, very extreme, but yeah. I think it goes to say when we talk about just the the scale of the actions it could be a reach out which is nice thank you but then when we start thinking about sustained action that's actually going to create change what are you doing beyond that what organizations are you partnering with who are you donating to what conversations are you having in spaces where there are no people that look like the people you're allying for by yourself are you holding your own and you know, it's interesting that you mentioned all this because I feel like, especially after like probably midway through or the rest of 2020, uh, going into 2021, people, we started to hear stuff about people having ally fatigue. I'm like, this is crazy because obviously <laughs> all those, all those actions, like, oh my God, like, I'm just like tired and like reading all these books. And then it's like, girl, I'm tired. Of going to see your space every single day. This is my life. Right. <laughs> so it's like this whole term around ally fatigue is mind blowing to me. <laughs> but um, I think the thing I wanted to say is that I think sometimes we actually overcomplicate now mm-hmm. what it is to be an ally. Yes. Because in reality, like I know I've had white women reach out to me and say, I just, you know, like want to know how I could better be an ally. I'm like, Build a relationship with us. Like, half of the problem is literally that we are so segregated. Like Mm -hmm. you said, most of your friends growing up were Black and Latino. I could say the same thing. I got one white friend, Lauren, who's, like, a good friend (laughs) I actually could talk to and, like, actually have dialogue with that I feel connected to. And, you know, my coworkers, of course, we have acquaintances. We Mm -hmm. have colleagues that we're really close with. But in reality, like, a friend who I could call when I'm down... I really only got like one real true good white friend because mm-hmm. a lot of white women don't go out of their way to make relationships with black women. And if they do, it's awkward. Mm-hmm. So it's like, let's talk. I-, I think a lot of times it's like part of being an ally is like, you need to befriend people in the community as mm-hmm. well, or just like enter spaces where you will feel uncomfortable. Yes. You know it takes intentional efforts each and every day. And I think the problem is people are scared of being uncomfortable. People don't Ooh. like to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Pe- well, it's like, Go ahead, oh, Julia. It's like a math homework when people give you, okay, this is the easy questions, the medium questions, the hard questions. I feel like when, like you're saying, that's the white woman reaches out to you, they want the easy questions. Mm-hmm. Like they know what they have to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Questions. Like what are those quick things I can do today? Like end of the day to do. And that's the performative stuff. Cause when you get the mm-hmm. easy question, you get the fast answer. Mm-hmm. And that performative allyship is that instant kind of self gratification, which is like, like you said, you got to ask the harder questions. You got to be willing to like sit there and do the problem you know what I mean but I think something that that I want to bring up is that when you talk about easy medium hard I love that but I think people are afraid of being uncomfortable and we live in a generation of cancel culture so just Mm. to play like devil's advocate I feel like people are scared and they also are like I don't even know I'm afraid that I'm going to say something wrong wrong and and people are so on edge these days that it's like, I don't have time to be dealing with you not knowing because you should know. So Julia, I would like to know, like, have you really experienced that where you're like, 
when you started your allyship journey, like being afraid to like say certain things, being afraid of council culture and how does that impact how you show up um, as an ally? Yeah, I know that's a great question. I mean, a thousand percent, like I can't say anybody, especially at the beginning of your journey when you know absolutely nothing you're doing. And we talked about before, like the word dance, like let me take in my mind 10 seconds to come up with each answer. And it's because people, and you know, being allies, you want to get that cookie at the end. You want to say all the right things and get the cookie. But when you talk normally, that's who you are as a person. And I think the biggest thing is people don't want to have those hard conversations and they don't want to be canceled, like you said. But I think there's more fear of being corrected. Mm. Like I like to think of it here a thousand percent. I never believe in extremes on both sides in most cases. But, you know, cancel culture is one thing, but I like to think as some parts of this correction culture, people Mm. think they're getting canceled when people are giving them either the correct way to say something or the right way to say something, how to improve. And they're saying, hey, don't come for me. But you're saying, if you want to enter this conversation, just learn how to have the conversation. Girl, that is sexy being called out. It is not. But I think that's really when I started to say, you know, I'm not afraid to have these conversations anymore because I feel secure enough in why I want to be friends with people of color, why I, my friends, like why I want to be friends with people that maybe don't have the same views, or I may get called out because I don't share those same experiences, Mm -hmm. but I'm not afraid to be corrected and to change. And then moving forward, hopefully I can have those conversations with my own families, my own friends and like share that with them. Yeah. Tell me, I love that, Julia. You are really out here preaching. Um, I have questions about like, can you share, do you have specific examples where like maybe you've been corrected or like give some examples? Cause I think like people listening a lot of times they like literally just freeze and do nothing Mm -hmm. and then just donate to the organization and call themselves an ally. So like, (laughs) I want to talk about, let's talk about real examples where maybe you had to learn something or like somebody checked you. Like tell us if you have any examples of your allyship journey. No, I do. And so I have, because I volunteer for for undergrad, it's an American organization. So I have a lot of LGBTQ plus people of color friends in America, which is one of my only places of having American friends. And especially after the murders of George Floyd, when people were protesting and in the streets and even in Canada, I remember talking to some people and saying, you know, my mom works in healthcare. I am really trying to understand, but I just don't get why people or how people are protesting during a pandemic. Like, I I know I have bias. I just can't understand that side right now. And I actually reached out to a few of my white friends who are probably beyond me in their allyship journey. And I said, if you have the capacity, can you educate me? Can you teach me? Like, I know I have this opinion. I don't think it's the right opinion, but this is just where my mind is. And I told them like my thoughts and I, I knew these probably weren't the right thoughts, but that's just where my bias was coming. And I, need, I asked them to teach me and they said, this is how you think about it. And this is why, you know, don't have these conversations right now because you need to uncheck your bias mm-hmm. because you're privileged. Your biggest fire right now is COVID. Mm-hmm. That is your biggest problem. But for a lot of people of color, they've had fires the whole life police brutality, institutionalized racism, and they are in front lines working already at risk of getting COVID. That mm. COVID is just one of their fires fighting mm. for their lives. And I was thinking like, oh, I, I, I didn't even think about that. And that, you know, that's where I knew, I knew as far as my own identity could take me. Mm. And I had been in conversations where it was just other white people agreeing, saying like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. And I said, I know I need to be corrected because I don't think this is the right way to be thinking. And they checked me and they told me why that was wrong. And that's when I realized, you know, I had to be corrected and I had to have my thoughts changed so that. I could hopefully teach other people, hey, don't think about it this way. Like, think about it from this perspective. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. think that there's value in, like, white people talking to each other about this stuff, too? That's the other thing that I learned, and I, I bet I've done this in the past, is, you know, expecting Black people to teach you how to be an ally. And asking them, like you said, to take time out of their own lives to teach you how to do it. And I said, you know, there are so many of my friends who are white 
but already fighting the fight and doing a better job than I am, like I can learn from them because I also understand they were probably in my shoes just a few bits ago that if they have capacity, they can help me. But I think that is something that happens all the time. And I experience it on one side in the LGBT plus community with people setting up calls with me saying, can you teach me how to be an ally? And I'm happy to do it because I have, I know I have a lot of privilege. So I'll take my privilege and help benefit other people. But I don't think it's right to talk to you black people and say, can you teach me why you're upset right, right now? Like yeah, that's girl, something. Don't do that. don't do that. <laughs> so, so Julie, I love that because when you were talking, I'm like, by you going to another white person, it's like taking that weight off of the community. But you've mentioned a couple of times, like they're further along in their allyship journey than I, what allows you to say that? Like what actions have you I seen from these people to say they're further along? And then I would love for you to talk about what maybe are you seeing from people that is causing everyone to talk about for performative allyship? And have you had to check some of your people because they were saying or doing some things that were a little crazy? Definitely a lot crazy. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I definitely think, especially with myself, I, I think I was in the point where I was being, I was educating myself. I was learning. I do think though, that at every single new aspect, you need to educate yourself again. Just because you've read one book or you read one article doesn't mean you're now educated for every single thing that happens to a marginalized community for the rest of your life. And so I think for myself, especially with police brutality, I was not educated. I was definitely a checked out ally where I went to some of those courageous conversations we had at work and heard people say they'd gone to the one the year before. I didn't go to that one. And it wasn't until the murder of George Floyd that I did start to educate myself more, even though I felt like I was learning about other aspects of mm-hmm. the black community. And I think it's just important to realize that just because you know you understand, oh, okay, this is racism in a workplace. When racism happens at this time or this event or that, you can't be fully educated ever. And so I knew that I did not have enough learnings about that. And a couple of my friends had already been from before. I remember seeing them at marches, seeing them on the grounds like before George Floyd and saying, Mm -hmm. okay, they clearly are in this space a lot more than I was. Mm -hmm. And I need to also realize just because I have been on my own allyship journey to a certain extent, I'll never stop needing to educate myself. Yeah, you, you'll you never stop learning, period. I feel like that's just a life thing. Like if you ever get to the point where you feel like you know everything, then you're missing something. Exactly. Because it's every, even to your point, every experience is multifaceted. There are so many different things that are impacting black and brown people, the LGBTQ plus community that to your point, one article isn't enough. And I'm afraid that that's where people, where are, people are, are starting and where they're stopping and they're Ooh. doing it when it's popular, when it's trendy. And then another reason why I struggle with, you're saying you're an ally, but just forming relationships. Are you talking to me outside of this? Are you reaching out to me just on a regular Friday afternoon to see how I'm doing? That's like, it's just so much to it. And it's a lot. And I know everybody has their own personal lives and everything going on. So like number one priorities are probably not to be checking on my black friend at work all the time, but there's so much to it. It's so nuanced. Yeah. And I was also going to say, I feel like one thing that's really key to know is like racism and white supremacy is literally systemic. Like mm-hmm. it, it is, it channels into so many different systems. So it's like fair game for you to say like, okay, policing is an area that I wasn't as educated in. Just like people could be out there thinking, okay, maybe healthcare and black you know, motherhood and mortality mm-hmm. is something that they're not educated on. I think that because uh, it is a system that is, you see racism throughout every single system, not only in the U.S. globally mm-hmm. and anti-blackness is global. I think there's a lot of for people to educate themselves on. Um, and you can't including do us it. Yeah. Yes. Like, I would say, Jamie, me and you, like, there's I'm not there. educated on everything. I'm educated. I'm an expert on my experience and my experience yes. only. And because exactly. I am a black person, I can speak to that. But I think exactly. that it shouldn't even be the expectation that allies are experts on everything. everything. But right. I think 
because it's so systemic, we need people in every place chipping away little by little. So if you get into policing and that's something you're passionate about and you want to head all the way in on that, do that. Healthcare may not be your thing, but I I believe that if you are chipping Mm -hmm. away at one thing, you're knowledge may not be as strong in one area but your just support for that community will be there and you will speak up when necessary i feel like even a good step for allies is like what are you passionate about in life so if you're a freaking parent how about you learn about how education affects schooling you know what i mean like how about you learn about children's books you know what i'm Mm -hmm. saying and how there's no children of color in children's books how about you teach your kids like i think there's so many opportunities and ways and like that's why it is outrageous for people to be asking oh what can i learn about it's like no find it because we you know we're in the world it's it's enough (laughs) right one thing i wanted to hit on julia because i thought it was really interesting you talking about obviously you mentioned that you're canadian and i think a lot of times um there's like this idea that um allyship as it relates to race is just such a u.s centric thing and be again as as a daughter of immigrants from Dominican Republic which there's a lot of anti-blackness rooted in our culture um I'm always trying to check people and be like let's stop making this a U.S. only thing like police brutality the reason why George Floyd became a global movement is because you started having people in Europe in Canada in South America everywhere even in Asia protesting about this because police brutality is also global and anti-blackness is global so i believe that but i would love to hear your perspective on like u.s versus canada or even just globally um and privilege uh spoken to that way too because i've had conversations with people who are like from europe and they literally have no concept i mean (laughs) you remember when we had that project and there were people that didn't Mm. even understand like the diversity stuff we were trying to do because they were like, I'm from Europe and we don't even talk about race. You mm. know? So I would love to hear your perspective being Canadian um, about that. Yeah, no, definitely. And I actually, when the both of you were talking a second before, one thing I, I just thought about and we can maybe get to later was for form of allyship, it's really easy when people are down mm-hmm. and white people still feel at the top because mm. when it's police brutality or education or healthcare, and you know that and you, if you think it's a zero-sum game you know that you helping will still keep you at the top but I think one thing that hasn't mm. get talked about is allyship during joy and people's successes and mm-hmm. happiness and like that's just one thing that I love seeing okay. more I see it we talk about it in the LGBT plus community of positive storylines for transgender people not mm-hmm. being murdered at the end of the show but also you know black girl magic black yes. white magic seeing people succeed like that's also something where allies need to be there when people are doing amazing and yeah maybe you could take your spot but that's part of allyship sorry i just want to mention mm-hmm. that i love that love it but yes with uh so with canada it's definitely something and I, i've heard it when i was even talking about allyship in our own company where people said you know but we're not like the u.s canada doesn't have issues like we're canada we're the nice people but i honestly no, it's not true. I honestly think that every country has oppressors and people who are oppressed. Mm-hmm. And I recently read the book Cast, so plug if anyone wants oh, to good. read that. Great book. But, you know, you start to realize in every single country, in India, there's the, you know, Brahmins versus the Dalis in America, white people, black people in Germany. It was Germans and Jewish people. And even in Canada, people may not have known about this but canada had residential schools which was basically where it was illegal at the time to not have your indigenous children sent to these schools to get their hair cut off their culture race their language race and we recently just uncovered 2000 unmarked graves unmarked because they were sexually and physically abused Mm. and and we had these schools since 19 until 1970 like that's very recent and it's something that people do not realize about yeah yeah and i just think that like you know at the end of it there is always going to be like anti something Mm -hmm. and it always rolls down into an institutionalized system that affects everybody whether Mm -hmm. it's primarily or secondary to any person even canada 
has as much racism as any other country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I and I think one thing that's a clear distinction is like a lot of that unfortunately does stem from white supremacy because yeah. I'm just saying it's a common denominator. A lot of these countries are having systemic issues that you see a certain group of people behind that. And I think the minute that people could just all acknowledge that mm-hmm. and truly learn again about their privilege because mm-hmm. it's a global issue is when we'll have some progress yeah Um, checking their privilege letting that pride and ego go and just because we're talking about a systemic issue doesn't mean we're talking about you but if we want to create change it's going to take a revolution you know i always say that like we need to just start all the way over but we can't do that so we got to chip away but yeah this i have sorry i have a couple of questions too because i wanted to i want because i know a lot of people are always wondering well what do i do to be a good ally hopefully by the end hopefully people who have listened to this you still don't have that question and you just know to act but i think it is helpful to give some tangible examples Mm -hmm. so uh one thing that i could bring i could bring up maybe two examples and then jay i would love to hear your perspective and julia i would love to hear perspective of either receiving allyship or giving it and what you considered was good um you probably don't even know this julia but i one thing that always resonated for me you just talked about how like you have to be there for the wins and the good as well I made a post on LinkedIn one time and I don't even think me and you knew each other that well. And I said at the end of the post, it was about this brand action that I had done. And at the end of the post, I said, black marketers matter. And, you know, I was being my revolutionary self. (laughs) And Julia was someone who I didn't even really know personally and literally commented and said, black marketers matter. And I was like, oh, you know, and that simple comment made me think, oh, she's with it. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, you have white people that stumble out of saying Black Lives Matter. And I just, I I felt like that was a, even though it was a very, like, you know, quick, easy way to celebrate wins and joy, that to me was, like, a sign of allyship where I thought, okay, she's with it. Like, she'll pull up, you know? Even though she's just typing a comment, you know, on, on LinkedIn. So that was an example that actually made me think, okay, you know what? I think she could be an ally. Uh, And then seeing, obviously, the way you've shown up in different ways. So that's, like, one example. Another example that I had was actually during um, George Floyd. Like, of course, you get the influx of the texts and the how are you. To be honest, it's to the point where it's so routine now that every time I see about five texts from white women saying, how are you? I know a Black person has died on the news. Uh, And it's sad that we're at that point because, again, it's giving performative. But there was a time where um, one of my colleagues who we weren't even that close um, and we don't really talk much like outside of work, but she was straight up like, what do you need to take off your plate? Like, I will take it and I will do it. Like she gave me she even canceled the meetings for the week and was like, I'll give you back time because I know you're probably grieving. That to me is actionable. Because it's like, you're literally giving me the gift of time, which I can never get back. Mm-hmm. And you know I'm not in the mental space to talk to you about whatever we got to talk to talk about. So that was another example. And the last example that I'll give that to me gets at, I'm kind of giving you easy, medium, hard. The mm-hmm. last hard example that I'll give is from my white friend, Lauren. Shout out to her. I hope she listens to this. Um, is when I was in college, this girl, you know, she's like white girl from Queens. So she's, she's been around the block. She knows things, but to be honest, she has a very white upbringing. Um, and, you know, there was a whole event after, uh, I think it was Mike Brown, uh, one of the shootings, you know, of Black men in America, where we had an entire event on campus about police brutality. The Black Student Union held it, and, like, people were outraged, okay? She was like, can I go to this event with you? And I was like, girl, you're going to be the only white person at this event. We're talking about police brutality. Like, (laughs) I don't know if you want to really pull up. And she was like, you know, I I don't care. I want to go. And I was like, okay. I mean, you're going with me. It's fine. And she came to this event. She was wildly uncomfortable. Everyone was staring at her, literally making comments and looking right at her. Uh, And she walked out and she was like, man, like that was just like, I feel like I learned so much, but I was also mad uncomfortable. Like I felt like I did something wrong. Everyone was looking at me angrily. And I told her, and she's like, I just felt so out of place. And I told her, 
that's how I am walking in the white spaces in corporate America almost all the time where you can't relate to everybody else and everybody's still looking at you different. So I think like when I see, for example, even cookouts, when you see white people come in a way that's authentic, it's like, are you pulling up to spaces where you might be the only one? Mm -hmm. Because people of color are doing this on a daily. Mm -hmm. People who are uh, of the LGBTQ community are pulling up to straight spaces on a daily. So it's like, how are you... Put actively putting yourself in environments where you will be the only one you will be looked at weird you will be scrutinized and you will learn mm-hmm. um so those are the examples i'll leave with easy medium hard and jay i would love to hear some examples from you and then julia you as well yeah um i feel like you hit them on the head i could just add a little bit more texture there um I think easy, and we kind of mentioned it earlier in the episode, but I love it, is just forming genuine relationships. Like, you know, it's going to take time. And think about any friendship that you have. It took time, but reach out to me in the good times. Yeah. Reach out to me when nothing is going on. Just set up time. And we don't even have to talk about work. Like, what is your story? Right. What is something I don't know about you that watch the shows that I watch? Yeah, like, yeah, like insecure. Yes, yeah, like watch a show that I don't watch so that when I pull up to a meeting and everyone's talking about their their favorite shows, I'm not the one exactly. saying I watch the shy and nobody knows what that is. So it's just like it's very simple, but like try to form relationships with me and let the fear of judgment go I like that people need to get over the fear of cancel culture it's really like this fear of correction because the correction is only meant to serve you so that you can continue to serve others so I think that that is a big part of it um I think as us being marketers on this call I'm going to speak about what you can do in your workplace um advocate for work that you are working on like make sure that you have diverse representation if something looks off it should never make it an ad age and people are going in on social media because even if there are no black marketers or people of color in the room there should be some people in the room who are educated enough to speak up and call out the fact that you shouldn't have blackface on this character that's being an ally um another thing for me is you know, when there are, when it's trendy, we're seeing the black squares, we're seeing the Black Lives Matter posts, but a, kind of a part of this is moving in silence. Everybody don't have to know everything that you're doing, but you're, but if you are doing, that is okay. And your doing could be acting with your, your wallet. You could have a recurring donation to the NAACP every month. It could be signing your child up for Um, a a nonprofit focused on bringing people of color books into your home where you're now taking steps to educate your children. You're bringing your children into the journey so that they are aware. Um, You pulling up to like a diverse space, like a a freaking dance class. Yes. Zumba, go to Zumba. Um, And the the North side of the, of the community where, you know, the black people are the South side, side, whatever, whatever that side is in your state where, you know, people know everybody like, Oh, that side, everybody like, they so scared. It's just like, you're scared because you've never been there. It's just really not that scary. Black people occupy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's problematic. Um, And the last thing I will say is, um, we saw last year there was a whole deck of what companies did. Some made just like some Instagram posts. Some made these financial commitments. I think allyship and being an accomplice is y'all need to act on those commitments. Don't just say them, but you say you're going to spend X amount of money. Why has that money not been spent? Right. Stop, you need stop to talk about we're listening and learning and start acting. And investing because you can't talk about in these companies that we want to get out there the multicultural consumer, but then the multicultural brands only have $2 to support them. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to invest. So I think. And as people, you have to, like, if you're doing individual allyship, like during Juneteenth, I saw a couple people pay some reparations to my Venmo. <laughs> like, Pay your black people, pay them for their time, compensate them. Yes. Put like, I started talking about like institutional, but I'm just saying like elevate black workers, promote them, pay them. Like it's, it's, it's so many different things that you can do. 
if there's somebody that you work with and you know she's not getting visibility for her work, elevate her work. Yeah. Send it to people, senior leaders who are watching. Like it's just little things that it doesn't require a lot, but that is more meaningful than just like a reach out telling me I don't know what to say. Um so Julie, I would love to close with you. So for anyone that's listening, um, what is a message you have for other allies and white women who may be listening and, and what they can do? Well, the both of you touched on so many great ones <laughs> that I was crossing off my list, but I think the biggest thing then that I want to do is specifically within white spaces or where you're doing allyship when no one's watching and nobody mm. is looking at you and expecting you and you're just doing it for yourself and to educate others. And so I think a lot of this happened when, you know, I'm white, I have a white family, my white family has many white middle-aged friends and they would come over and everyone was talking about Black Lives Matter and protests. And my stepdad was saying, you know, uh, oh, X loves the environment and X loves TV and Julia loves human rights. And I'm like, well, that's not a hobby. That's like a standard in our lives. <laughs> We were <laughs> not human rights. No, no that's, that's funny. That is so funny. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. I have a yeah, little No, it was that was that one got me. But it, it's really when you're having these conversations and people are saying things and horrible things that you're thinking, you know, I, I need to say something. I've said too much time standing by, and whether it's words, whether it's beliefs, it's really just backing up your, you know, the, the black community that you're preaching that you're supporting are you doing it in those spaces where they're not watching mm. and you're doing it for them when they're not there to keep you accountable because you know your family you, their friends are going to go into spaces and cause harm if they aren't corrected and they're not spoken to so that's one that I would definitely say and like I said if you don't know how to have those conversations reach out to your white friends who you think are further along their allyship journey they probably have those conversations and can share tips mm -hmm. And the second one I say is use your privilege. So many people, like I said, have privilege in certain areas. I have it as a white person. I have it as a professional. And in the campaigns that I work on, we were around a table of no black people and mostly women. I mean, mostly uh, white people and women. And we were putting out campaigns and I was very junior. I was junior and a little bit like Vanessa when, when she was saying it's revolution. Uh, and <laughs> I was saying, you know, there's only white people in this ad, <laughs> just calling it out there. And everyone's like, oh, you know, like it's hard. It's COVID. We, we have stock images. We can't find it. And I'm like, well, I was just working with my social agency and they said the same thing. And I went on Instagram and I found our black consumers and our Asian consumers eating our stuff and gave it to them. Like, here you go, hand feeding it, but these need to be posted. And I was that voice a little bit of times and it bit me in the butt. I had a couple people chat with me about having conversations in the right places, but there's been a lot of times where people now come to me and say, Hey, can you look at this from one lens or another? And I'd either say, I can only say certain things, but go talk to our black champions network, go talk to the people, you know, and, and have a voice and bring it to them because then if you're putting it out to our consumers or people, you want to have black people at the table making mm -hmm. their comments. You want to have queer people at the table, you know, saying what this means to that community. And I think that's just where, you know, know your privilege and then know how to use that because mm -hmm. that's your area where you can hopefully make a difference. I love, I love that. that this um funny thing and then I know I know we're 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 about to close out but it was funny because you said when you were with your family they categorize you as the one who cares about human rights and I moved back to North Carolina and I live in a very white neighborhood and I am in the deep south so like when you drive in my neighborhood it's a trump sign everywhere there was billboards trump so you get it and I went over to one of my neighbor's house a little old white lady and she was like soon as I walk in everything that's just going on out there in the community I just I'm so sorry about that for you and she's like my grandson yeah he just he just loves human rights he's just like a really big advocate for like um but it's, it's saying it as like a other thing like I don't do that but he does that and I'm like but why is that like 
in the in the tone and how her and her husband were talking about it it's like he's our rebel son and i'm like but you should be rebel like he's he's because out here i think a lot of times like allies will try to make these like leaps of connection work and it's like oh yeah like you're black like i had a black granddaughter and it's like <laughs> Why are you trying so hard to make this connection? Yeah, they are. It's a mess. But I think the last thing I want to say before we close is that we're here and we're talking about actions. We also are allies for other communities. And I don't want it to feel like we're preaching and telling everybody what to do. We're taking our own advice to be allies for the LGBT plus community. Vanessa is Afro-Latina. So intersectionality right there. She's advocating for brown people, black people. We are doing the work. And that's why we wanted to create this. We wanted to have this conversation because we want more people to know what not to do but also what you can do so i hope that there's something that you took away from today because it was so many gems that were dropped so many gems that were dropped and we're all again we're all on this journey some people are on different parts of the spectrum i think it goes down to like a lot of the stuff that even julia said like what's easy medium and hard like what type of problems can you solve at what capacity Um, And always being knowledgeable, I think, about your impact and not just your intent, because I think a lot of times there's conversations within allyship and what differentiates performative allyship from not is this whole like, okay, well, my intent was great, but your impact could have been terrible. Mm -hmm. So I think like being very hyper aware of the impact of our actions uh, will help us be non-performative allies as well. Yes. Well, that's it, y'all. That this is, is really our episode. One. I Thank loved you so it. much, Julia. Uh, Thank we you. Really appreciated this conversation. And yeah, can you tell the people like if they want to reach you, you could plug yourself. Um, how they can connect with you if they want to be inspired or kind of follow your journey as well. No, of course. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And my ads are at Julia Baldero, just like you hear it everywhere. No creativity there. But <laughs> you want to give it a follow on Insta, LinkedIn, anywhere. I'm happy to chat anytime. Love Perfect. You. Thank you, y'all. Give her a follow. And of course, as always, make sure you're tuned into our social media account. So our out of office account is underscore OOO after work. Um, and make sure you're subscribing and following, liking, listening and engaging with our content. Until next time. See y'all.